Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Joining me is co-host and fellow H-Town sports junkie, Stephen Kerr. As always, of course, if you've been listening to us, you know 60 years in sports journalism between the two of us. So tons of experience in the field. And Stephen, you and I, old enough to remember the last time, before tonight anyway, that all three Houston major sports franchises played on the same day. It was 40 years ago with the Astros, Rockets, and those old Houston Oilers. On that day, all three teams lost 40 years ago. And Stephen, it was the same sad story today, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it was something like 14,000 and something days since that happened. Um, Maybe we should wait at least another 14,000, 20,000 days before it happens again, because it just seems like that that's just not a good thing when Houston teams, all three of them on the same day play, they're all three going to lose. The the Rockets, the Texans, and then the Astros made it a perfect trifecta by losing again. So, yeah, I'm not sure that I want that to happen anytime soon, Robert. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was it was a bad, bad day to watch Houston sports. I had plenty of time to watch it, and it was not fun to watch any of it. And let's just start with the Rockets because – that's the game that matters the most if you're talking about big picture playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. And just to start off with, there was lack of focus, lack of energy. Dan Tony said lack of spirit. Steven, I don't want to spend much time on breaking this thing down because it felt like it was never in doubt with the effort the Rockets were giving right up, right from the jump. Well, and I almost wondered, Robert, were, were the Lakers playing a set of mannequins out there on the floor because I just, I've never seen a Rockets team that just stood around flat footed, didn't rebound, getting only one chance shots when they were taking shots, missing shots they should have made. I don't know. I mean, how, how can you have a lack of spirit in a playoff game when you're down two games to one? I I don't get it. Now I'm not a professional athlete. I'm not out there every night, you know, sweating and working my butt off like these guys are. And I'm certainly not making the kind of money that they're making. But I just don't comprehend it. I, I don't understand how you can not have intensity. I, I can see where maybe you have too much intensity and you get out of control and you start making mental errors like that. But how you can just look like you're you're still in the hotel in the bubble and not on the court, I just don't get it, Robert. I, I just don't. Well, I'm going to try to give you the one reason that makes any sort of sense. And let's go back a little bit because, as everybody knows by now, Daniel House – He's been on an indefinite suspension because he allegedly allowed a female COVID tester into his hotel room. He's denying the allegations. We've yet to hear from the NBA what the evidence is, but they better have video evidence or the league's it's got some major explaining to do. Uh, Steven, you have to ask this question, though. Were the Rockets out of this game mentally because of the house situation? Well, I don't know. I mean, they didn't have him in game three, and they played a lot better until the fourth quarter. But maybe they didn't know what they know now. You know, it's it's hard to speculate. I, I don't want to get too speculative about it. But, you know, if, if he really did something like that, shame on him. You know, this is a playoff series that's so important. They, the Rockets really needed him. And obviously they missed him because in both games he's been out, nobody has stepped up to take up the shooting slack, you know, from the outside. And, and we thought Ben Michaelmore might. When he first checked in, he made his first three. We thought, oh, well, maybe Ben's going to get things going. But nope, it didn't happen. So 
the fact that House is out is definitely a big blow to the Rockets, no question about it. You know, it's weird because if you look at the numbers, the shooting percentage for the Rockets the last couple of games, it hasn't been a catastrophe. Let's give the Lakers credit where credit is due. I mean, they they are doing a really good job forcing the Rockets off the three-point line. They are doing a tremendous job covering the Rockets outside. They've had 30-some-odd three-point attempts in the last couple of games. Uh, for the, and for the Rockets, that's nothing. I mean, that's... You know, we've watched them a ton this year, Stephen, and, you know, you watch them in that Oklahoma City series, and, you know, it's 53-point attempts is, is normal, and, and, and 33 tonight, and they, they were 42.4% per from the field from three, which is not terrible. It's great. No, it really isn't. Yeah, it's great for them, and, and it's just that I, I think the Lakers, as you said, they just they have figured out how to stop the Rockets. They they're not going to let them go inside. The Rockets missed some shots inside and and just weren't able to get in there. And you know you knew when the game started and the Lakers started Markeith Morris over Javale McGee. You knew that they were confident in that lineup being able to work against the Rockets and keep them off balance, just like they did with it. That that was the lineup that they started the second half of Game Three with. They went with it to start this game, and it worked. I mean, the Lakers have definitely figured out what makes the Rockets tick and how to stop it. And the fact is, the Rockets just haven't figured the Lakers out. They, they can't they can't beat LeBron James and Anthony Davis inside, and they can't hit those shots when they need to hit them, even though, as you said, if you look at the three-point percentage, it's not bad. But it's just when they're making these shots and just being able to stay in the game. They just haven't been able to do it. You know, I was listening to Stan Van Gundy, and he was saying, well, the the Rockets— you know, from a defensive standpoint, you know, well, they they should have been double teaming LeBron James and they were they were hedging guys over to him in game three and they were double. It didn't matter. He was hitting tough shots because he's bigger than everybody else. Like we said the other night and Anthony Davis, he's bigger than everybody else. And the size does matter. And that that is the issue with the Rockets is they don't have the size uh, overall, and, and and it's hard for them to do anything. But, you know, we'll get back to the mental part of the game for the Rockets. And, you know, for what it's worth, D'Antoni said, don't blame it on the Daniel Howe situation. Uh, but let me just point this out because, you know, I think this series is over on Saturday if House isn't playing because they really need his injection of spirit off the bench because – Outside of Jeff Green, they really don't have anything off the bench. I mean, Austin Rivers, a little bit better game for him. Uh, Macklemore at least hit a three-point shot in, in this game, like you mentioned early in the game. But, you know, for the most part, you need Daniel House, both, both his versatility on defense and what he can give you on the offensive end, the fact that he can get up and run the court and get you some easy buckets too, which he's done in this series. But, it, you know, th I think they need him – on Saturday, just for that in injection of, hey, we, we got something that we haven't had the last couple of games, which they, they've lost the last two games, so maybe it's no accident. And they also need House because they, they, they've got to get his versatility out there on defense. Austin Rivers and Ben McLemore can't cover these guys because they're too small. No, they can't. And and that is as much of a an importance to the Rockets is, is Daniel House's defense, as you said. And it's just such a shame that something like this has to happen. I mean, again, I don't want to speculate too much on whether he did or whether he didn't. I, I hope it's I, – I really hope it's not true. But if it is, you know, as I said, shame on Daniel House because 
That is his doing. He has hurt his team and himself by doing something like that. And boy, has it hurt the Rockets because in these two games, who knows? You know, in game three, he might have been the difference. I don't know, honestly, though, Robert, if he would have won this game if he had been in game four. I don't know. Possibly. But game three, certainly the Rockets would have had a chance if House was in the game. Right. And like I said, I I just don't know what the mental part was of the House situation because something wasn't right. And, And that's the only thing that makes any sort of sense. I mean, I don't understand why the Rockets would have just not shown up unless there's some sort of chemistry breakdown or something like that, which it just it doesn't seem like it. Um, and even D'Antoni pointed out there was just a lack of spirit in this game. And if you look at, you know, the numbers from this game, there's nothing that really sticks out. It's just you, you saw it on the court. You watched what happened. And the, the one thing I'll say about the Lakers is, you know, the, the thing was you were just going to go, well, we need somebody else to beat us from outside. We got to get, you know, other players to beat us. Uh, from the perimeter, we've got to get the the B, C, D, E, and F guys to beat us, and they have. They've done a great job. I mean, Caldwell Pope was two of three from the three point line, four of six overall. Uh, Danny Green was two of three from three point from three point line. He was four of nine. Uh, Kuzma played well, uh, just two of six. But you know, Kuzma did a couple things for him, especially early in the game. And the one thing that they've had and we talked about him the last game and he's just been really good in this series is uh, Rondo Rondo is killing him yeah I imagine that I mean Rondo he, he kind of got off to a shaky start in the series but as the series has gone on he has certainly warmed up and he's been the nemesis in the rocket size of course he's got experience he has a championship won it with the Celtics so he's been here before and he knows what to do but yeah the Rockets clearly have no answer for him that's for sure and somebody named Horton Tucker, uh, not P.J. Tucker, yeah, but Horton Tucker. Not P.J., Tucker. yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> not him, but <laughs> Horton Tucker was 205 and one of three from three-point range in the first half. And he only played seven minutes, but it was a, it was a big seven minutes. And he, he did some nice things when he was out on the fl- floor. And he was a pl- they were plus nine when he was out there. And I just I, I kind of want to go back to the point of, okay, lack of spirit. Well, that's when you need a coach that can handle things and handle these kind of situations. Mike D'Antoni, in the next week, he's coaching his last game as a Rocket, Stephen. I don't think there's any question about it. Oh, I absolutely believe that. Now, I know you and I, I think, have talked off the air. I think you asked me the other day, you know, would D'Antoni be out if the Rockets lost this Lakers series? And I, I firmly believe that they would. Or, you know, even if they got to the Western Conference Finals and and fell and and I remember you brought up the point, well, they haven't had a lot of time for this small ball lineup to mesh. But, I, you know, the fact that they didn't give him a contract extension at the beginning of the season, I think is a big telling mark for me. And, yeah, absolutely. If they lose this series, especially if they lose four games to one and it's not even really competitive, I just I don't see how in the world D'Antoni is coming back. And getting back to your point about spirit. Yeah, I think the coach is responsible for some of that and getting the players up. But you know what? If you're a player, and you know, especially if you're a veteran, you've got to know that this is important. And then no matter what's happened, whether it's because Daniel House is out for this crazy situation or or whatever the case, you got to know that this is the playoffs. This is a series that, you know, this is a game you've got to win. 
Otherwise, you're down 3-1. That by itself should be enough for you to self-motivate. I just think there comes a point where players have to self-motivate. The coach can only do so much. It's up to them to get it going. Whatever the reason, neither thing happened because the Rockets just did not get it going in this game at all. And if you're talking about players, Westbrook did his usual. Plenty of energy out there. Does it work all the time? No, but you know he's out there running around. He's jumping up for rebounds. He made a steal early in the game that I thought was pretty nice for him. Uh, P.J. Tucker, there's never a night where he doesn't bring it. Robert Covington, if he was a little bit off from the elbow to the head, it's understandable. Eric Gordon, you know, I don't know. I, I, don't, I didn't see a whole lot different from, from Eric Gordon than I've seen the rest of this series. But the guy that you just got to come back to and you always come back to is we, we could talk about new coaches, but unless they could – the only thing that would be good about a new coach, Stephen, is if you got a coach that could do something – to the brain of James Harden and make him into a leader. And I, I kind of think of somebody like a Phil Jackson that would say, uh, here, James, I want to, I want you to read this book on being a leader because this is what you need to do. <laughs> Cause it, 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 I don't know. I don't know what he got from watching Michael Jordan in the documentary, but we heard all this noise about, Oh, well, James was watching that and he was inspired. How? How is he inspired? Is this a Jordan performance that he put up in, in, in a crucial game four? Yeah, I'm still waiting for it. I, I'm waiting to see what he did get inspired from by the Jordan documentary. I, I wish it would have shown up earlier, and it certainly needs to show up now because now the Rockets have to win three straight, and I don't see it happening, Robert. I just don't. I, this team has been a hot and cold team all year long. They They've been – in those moments where you think, oh, they finally have figured it out. They're going to finally do something. And then they stub their toe. And then when they stub their toe, they fall. And then they have trouble getting themselves back up. And by the time they do get back up, it's too late. Going back to something you said earlier, I think you hit the nail on the head, though, with the Lakers and the fact that so many of their role players are coming through, even though they're just doing little things, a little bit here with KCP, a little bit there you know, with Rondo, a little bit here, a little bit there with, with several guys. And that's just something the Rockets are not doing. Even, you know, three or four shots from three or some big plays, you know, from some of their bench guys, the Rockets aren't doing that. And the Lakers bench, I mean, it is just clearly outdistancing the Rockets bench. Well, let's move to the other disaster of the day of the big games anyway. Uh, the Texans lose to the Chiefs, 34-20. to 20. The score, to me, just doesn't indicate uh, the kind of game this was. But the Texans barely lose on total yards, 369 to 360. So, Stephen, at the, at the end of the game, I was thinking, well, m maybe the Texans can get the Electoral College win in this game. <laughs> yeah, if only. Because that that's about the only thing that would save them. I, You know, I really, I, I guess we shouldn't be too surprised, Robert, you know, from an offensive standpoint. You've got new faces there. You don't have DeAndre Hopkins. And and look, I, I know there are plenty of people who are saying, well, DeAndre wasn't there, so that's why they didn't win. Well, guess what? They didn't win when they lost 51-31 to 31 either with the Chiefs. So, yes, it certainly is a factor. You've got guys in there. I, I did think the running game was pretty good. David Johnson looked good. He looked decent in his first game with the Texans. But the, the passing game clearly was not clicking. And Deshaun Watson, I... I didn't see the final stat of his quarterback rating, but I know it 
midway in the fourth quarter, he had like a, a 60.2 rating, whereas Patrick Mahomes had, I think, a 124 or something. So it clearly tells you who the better quarterback was tonight. Deshaun Watson, 20 of 32, 253 yards, one touchdown, one interception, and I'm going to get to the one interception. Patrick Mahomes, 24 of 32, 211 yards, three touchdowns. That's a big difference. Uh, yeah, Mahomes' quarterback rating was 123.3, and Deshaun Watson's was 84.5. But when I look at what happened in this game, we can talk about the quarterbacks, but Let's we got to start off with the Texans rushing defense, which has just become awful. It had slipped a lot last year. It it hasn't recovered since Jadavian Clowney left, and he was such a great run stopper. That that's what was so underrated about him. And we knew, Stephen, it wouldn't be any better when you take DJ Reader out of the equation. Well, that's certainly true. And then I mean, you know it's bad when you've got a rookie running back named Clyde Edwards Hilaire. You know, good running back out of LSU, but but he made his debut and there was no preseason and he just, you know, he did 100 yards plus on the Texans. 138 yards, yeah. 138 yards. So that tells you right there, the Texans run defense has some work to do. And we knew we were going to miss DJ Reader. We, we, I think we even talked about that when he walked, that this is where you're going to really see it show up is in the rushing defense. Well, it certainly did when you had a rookie running back that had 130-plus yards in his first game in the NFL. You're paying a lot of money to middle linebackers. Zach Cunningham with a new contract. Bernardrick McKinney's got a nice contract. And where were they? Stopping the run. I mean, that's what you pay middle linebackers for, right, Stephen? <laughs> yeah, that's what you're supposed to do, absolutely. And it, it just it, it didn't happen. And, you know, you almost wonder, well, you know, this was a rookie running back. When you go up against a great back, they, they certainly have got to do a better job. And, and that was one of the reasons – Robert, that I think the Chiefs were so effective is they kept the, the Texans defense on the field so much of the game because the running game was working for them. And yeah, the Texans running game was decent, but it it wasn't keeping the Chiefs defense on the field and neither was the passing game because it just wasn't clicking at all. Two quarterback hits from J.J. Watt, zero sacks. Uh, speaking about uh, some money that the Texans are spending on their defense, J.J. Watt didn't give you much in this game. The $54 million man, Whitney Merciless. Uh, how about zero QB hits and zero sacks? Uh, not to mention the $18 million that were guaranteed to Randall Cobb that got you two catches for 23 yards, and those weren't until, you know, at the very end of the game when the game was over with. I mean, I, Cobb didn't even see the football until that point. But, you know, we, the Whitney Merciless, we, we talked about this in the offseason. Everybody talked about it. It was a terrible contract. It's terrible. Well, it is. And you thought maybe, you know, at the beginning of last season, of course, he got off to that great start uh, in the first two games against uh, the Saints and Jacksonville. But as the season went along, he just faded out and, and you didn't hear anything from him, you know, and then the contract. And so, it, yeah, the first game of this season when he really needed it, the, the Texans really needed it. He just didn't you, you didn't hear from him. I. I, I did miss some of the game, Robert, because I had a, a work assignment that I had to take care of. But, you know, for the game that I saw, I did. I hardly heard Whitney's name mentioned at all. No, no, you, you didn't hear it at all. And, and if, if you let's, let's let's look at the offense, because uh, we talked a little bit about the defense. And, and, and again, they, they were just bad everywhere. We knew that was going to be a problem. But on offense, uh, let's you go. You go through the possessions one after another and I'll, I'll go run them down. 
Will Fuller on the first possession drops a second down pass, but he ha- ended up having a really good game. Again, some of that was at the end when they're just, you know, playing prevent defense. But then they had a costly illegal procedure penalty on third down that backed it up to third and 10. And it looked like somebody didn't know the snap count. I don't know who it was. And that's, you know, maybe lack of preseason. This is the first game of the season. I get it. But I thought it was kind of funny, Stephen, that, you know, that they were having problems with the snap count and everything in Kansas City. And there's only 17,000 people. It was allowed 17,000 people, but only 17,000 people were in the stadium. I was going to say, and and I think even somebody made the comment that, uh, wow, for 17,000 fans, they sure make a lot of noise to make you, you know, have uh, penalties. I didn't see a lot of penalties. I, I thought I might see more. No. Just because of the fact that there wasn't a preseason. But the ones that were there, were, you know, certainly could have done without them. And, you know, later in the game, Kenny Stills dropped a pass he should have had either. So you can't put it all on Deshaun. You know, the, the receivers, had, I mean, there were some passes that he threw right on the money. The one that Will Fuller dropped, he was on the back shoulder. He should have caught that ball. Absolutely should have, especially if he's going to be a number one receiver. Um, but I guess you can say at least, you know, Will Fuller, he played a game and didn't get injured. So that, that I guess, is a small victory in his case. Okay, let's go through some of the other drives. You got a nine-play, 80-yard drive, their second drive, which was good. Uh, that was You got the David Johnson 19-yard TD run, which I had to laugh because Chris Collinsworth had the Texans winning the DeAndre trade after the Johnson TD in the first quarter. Which, <laughs> which was, Surely he just, uh, right? Yeah, I, I don't get I, what I, I think. Uh, Chris Collinsworth was the marketing, he's paid marketing guy for Bill O'Brien tonight, but we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, the, the next drive ends at midfield. Now, this was about a sack given up by Zach Fulton, who looked awful in this game, who they re signed to a contract. I just thought that was where they really needed to upgrade the offensive line, Stephen. The second down sack was terrible, and he got beat a, a couple of times really badly. Yeah, that was that is the one area I think of the offensive line where you have to say it just it still needs room for improvement. I know it's only one game, but you know Zach Fulton has you know you keep waiting for him to break out, but I just don't see it happening, and that is probably at this point the weakest side of the Texans line that just has to get better. I mean, I think the rest of the line did a, a pretty good job for the most part, although, you know, Deshaun, I, I felt like Deshaun was rushed so much of the time that he just couldn't get a rhythm. And that may be part of what made him have, you know, such a mediocre game tonight. Okay. So their fourth drive, which was only the four, only the only drives in the first half was the four drives. They missed a 51-yard field goal by Kaimi Fairbairn. Uh, Deshaun had three chances on throws. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, Bill O'Brien, you know, goes into halftime with two timeouts. And, and yes, that's the case. I think on that offensive drive, they give up the ball with about, I don't know, 29 seconds left. If Deshaun gets a first down, you know, you're just kind of counting on, okay, Deshaun's going to get a first down. If you get the first down and you're in bounds, you need those timeouts. You know, you, you get a couple more plays. And, and with the, the missed throws, you know, they were all basically timeouts because the clock stops. So because they left 29 seconds on the clock and Fairbairn, who, you know, for all the money they're paying him, one of the highest paid kickers in the NFL, can't make a 50-plus yard field goal. Uh, he's been terrible at that throughout his career. Um, nothing wrong with the hold. That allows the Chiefs to go down. 
with a four-play, 48-yard drive in 25 seconds, and then they get a field goal, and that puts them up 17-7 to at halftime. Uh, drive ends at midfield to start the half. Nothing that sticks out too much from that. And then Deshaun with an interception, which was his one interception in the game. And, Steven, you know, this was not on the offensive line for this one. This was Deshaun waiting too long to throw the pass. The rusher's coming right at him. He's looking at him. And there's just no excuse there. He just waits and waits and waits. He waits too long. The guy hits him as he throws. It's a wobbly pass. It's intercepted. And that sets up another easy chief score. Well, I know we talked about this last year, and we we keep waiting and waiting for Deshaun to figure it out. And I don't know if it's just a case that he's going to be one of these quarterbacks that just takes too much of his time to throw the ball. But if that's the case, I, I don't see how he's ever going to be the Deshaun Watson that we keep waiting for him to be. Yes, he makes Superman plays, you know, in some game, but you can't make Super Bowl or Superman plays all the time. You've got to come through in other ways, and and you can't just you know pull a rabbit out of your hat every single time. He's got to figure out how to get the ball out quicker than he has been. You know, the last couple of drives that they had, they go down and score, but you know it's it's prevent defense. Uh, Jordan Akins scores a touchdown on one of those drives. Jordan Akins. Had a really good night. Um, there was a couple of guys, you know, on the receiving end that did have decent nights. And you mentioned David Johnson. Uh, he's got, you know, a little bit of juice. It's exciting. He had 11 carries for 77 yards. When you look at the total stats, it was mostly Will Fuller on the receiving end. Eight catches for 112 yards, uh, 44 or 14 yards per catch. Or he, yeah, he averaged 14 yards a catch. And then um, it's a lot of two and three catches after that Jordan Akins with a couple David Johnson with three uh, Randall Cobb with the you know kind of late meaningless two Brandon Cooks with a couple of catches but just for 20 yards Fells with two catches for 19 yards you know you you look at they've got a new offensive coordinator supposedly Tim Kelly is calling the plays I don't know if I saw anything that really blew me away from Tim Kelly other than I, I, I will give them one thing that I saw in the first drive or the second drive, I should say, that, that that was kind of shocking. They had a couple of nice screen passes that work that looked better designed or better blocked, or maybe they were just set up better prior to the screen pass. But that's about all I can say that's good for Tim Kelly. And I don't know what I could say with Anthony Weaver, but I don't know what he has to work with, to be honest with you. I think it's a poor, poor talent on defense. Well, and especially in the secondary, I know P.J. Hall, they, they just got, and he made some plays. He looks pretty good. Might keep an eye on him. But, yeah, between the injuries and, you know, a lot of guys leaving, you've got things on defense that are still a question mark. And regarding the offense, yeah, I mean, it's one game, but you almost wonder how many games is Bill O'Brien going to give Tim Kelly before he, he takes the thing back? That's the question that's going to be in my mind for a while. And how much of this can you blame on DeAndre Hopkins? And, you know, also how much can you blame on, and obviously it didn't affect the Chiefs but uh, as much, but how much can be blamed on, well, you got no preseason, it's your first game. We're going to have to see how this develops, but there's no rest for the weary. Do you know who they, they're playing next week? Yeah, I think it's some, uh, it's some team called the Ravens, I think. And uh, some guy named Lamar is coming to town uh, a week from Sunday. So, yeah, yeah. That, there's no rest for the weary, as you said. That The next game, you, you don't get the, the Cleveland Browns or, you know, not that they're <laughs> – you don't know what kind of team they're going to be. 
But uh, yeah, the Baltimore Ravens, it'll be interesting to see what kind of a season they have after uh, the great season last year and then when they fall in the playoffs. And as usual, no answer for Travis Kelsey, uh, especially in the first. I think all of his catches might have been in the first half. Six catches for 50 yards, uh, a touchdown. He was just unstoppable. I mean, the Texans never seem to have an answer for him. I mean, they're, they, they don't have anybody that can cover him. And that might be something that you need to work on when you play the Chiefs. It just seems like we we go through the same song and dance every single time. I mean, he's a great player, though. Let's be honest. Well, he is, and you know, AJ Moore tried to cover him, and but yeah, there's just there aren't many answers to cover Travis Kelsey. It's just he is that kind of a player. So the Texans can at least take solace, and they're they're not the only team that can't cover. I don't have much else on this game. I mean, I I just feel like. Um, I need to see more of what the Texans have to offer this year with, you know, the a team that's it's not the Chiefs. And I don't know if the Ravens are going to help much next week, but at least they've got, you know, more than a week to figure it out. I mean, they're going to have some extra time to figure this thing out. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you improve the defense. That, the defense is my biggest concern, honestly. Well, and it has been. Unfortunately, you were hoping it could get better, but they really didn't. You know, it's not like they added a major free agent or, or some flashy rookie. And, you know, that's part of the problem, too. With no preseason, you don't have, you know, the the rookies that can make flashes like you normally would in the past, where maybe a, a guy that you not expect or, or maybe even, you know, Blacklock or, or one of your top picks, you know, not a first-round pick, obviously, but that they can step up and make an immediate contribution because they didn't have the kind of offseason you'd normally have. So, yeah, the defense is probably... I, I really think the offense will figure it out, even though they don't have DeAndre Hopkins. You just have to hope that the combination of players like David Johnson, Brandon Cooks, uh, Randall Cobb, you know, Will Fuller, if they could, if he could just stay healthy. I noticed that Kiki Cutie was not active, so you know, here we go again. It's it's the QT mystery. What's going to happen there? But I think the offense will figure it out. I think the line most of the part was better except for Zach Fulton, as we said. But yeah, the defense, it's just going to be a con- continue to be a question mark. Yeah, the only rookie that even got mentioned, and, and he doesn't look bad when you look at the numbers because he had six tackles and they were all solo, was uh, John Reed. Um, I, I don't know if right. I saw enough of him to really get a good impression, but as a rookie, at least he's getting getting some playing time. There, yeah, the rookies, uh, they they just weren't, a factor at all. I mean, you can't even find much of a mention of them in the, in the box score or anything like that, but you know, it's kind of a wait and see, I I guess I'll finish off with uh, the last of the three Houston teams and Steven, it's getting a little bit, you know, scary here with the Astros because after they've lost four or five to the A's eight of nine overall, they're just two games ahead of the Mariners for second place in the division and one game under 500, The offense continues to be inconsistent, and the bullpen is just a crap show. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the most glaring things about the Astros pitching, Robert, that I've noticed is how many walks they've given up, you know, in in at least 12 games, 12 games, the Astros have walked six or more batters. I mean, there's no way you're going to win a lot if you do that. And, yeah, when the pitching is better— you know, when you're getting some good starting pitching, then the offense doesn't come through. And then when the offense comes through, the bullpen caves in. So 
the the team is definitely not clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, they've had injuries, you know, to some of their key players. That's a big thing. They they have a lot of the young guys. I mean, we've talked about a lot of that. But the bottom line is they're not playing well. And I think the division, as far as winning the division, I think that's pretty much out of their grasp. They just have to hope they can hang on to second place at this point. Is it just me or is it every time they bring in somebody from the bullpen, he walks the first guy that he faces? Well, that's a lot of it is that they're walking guys to either to begin an inning or when they first come in. And, you know, as a baseball fan, you don't even have to be a player to know that when you walk a guy, bad things happen, at least for the pitcher and, and for the defensive team. So, yeah, the, a lot of that is happening. I don't have a stat in front of me about it, but that's been a lot of the problem is that they walk the first guy of the inning or the first guy when the pitcher comes in the game. And then the next thing you know, some runs score. But then the, the walks just tally up. And before you know it, you've got five, six, seven walks in a game. And that's just not going to win you very many. Not only do they walk them, it seems like they walk them on four pitches, I swear. <laughs> but they're not even close. I mean, there have been some instances where, yeah, it's a four-pitch walk, and it's almost as if they intentionally walked them because they didn't even come close to the strike zone. And it's not just the rookies. You know, I, I'm seeing this from you know, Brad Peacock or Josh James. or you know, It just doesn't matter. Whoever they bring right. in, that's, that they're going to do that. And the thing that, that crushes me, Stephen, is – you know, at this point, with this happening so much, so many times, you know, Dusty keeps coming out there and changing pitchers in the middle of innings. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Because we know what's going to happen. You're going to change the pitcher and he's going to walk the first guy. And you might as well just leave the guy in that, that's at least got a little bit of a rhythm. And, you know, because he's more likely than not, at least he might actually throw a strike and make them have to hit their way into a run. <laughs> Yeah, and you know Dusty, of course, has been criticized many times in the past for how he handles his pitchers. We just need the pitching whisperer to come through here. Where's Brent Strom? He's got to got to work some of that magic and get these guys out of it. So the quit walking all these batters. My goodness. Yeah, you have to imagine that conversation has happened over and over and over again. And I don't know, maybe it's in these guys' heads or you know, and, and scrub. I mean, I think he needs to have a guy on base before he starts get, getting to going anyway. You might as well just say scrub. All right. Pretend like there's a guy on first base or second base as soon as you get in the ball game. Yeah. That's what's interesting is Andre scrub seems to pitch better when he's got runners on base or when he's in a jam, you know, the base is loaded because when, when he's in an inning where the bases are empty or if the Astros are ahead and there's no pressure, it, it, he just, and it's weird how that happens to some pitchers. And you look at this lineup, and outside of you know Kyle Tucker giving you a, a surprise season, I mean Correa, you know he's been fantastic defensively, but offensively, he's under 800 as OPS, and and you expect more from Carlos Correa than that after the the hot start that he had. You thought maybe, you know, he was going to have a really good season. Springer's not giving you much at all this year as far as consistency and and definitely his average is not where you would like to see it uh Bregman's been in and out of the lineup and when he's been in the lineup it's not been good we know about Altuve's struggles Yuli had a hot stretch but you know even he's kind of cooled off a little bit recently but Yuli's giving you about what you would expect from him um, but you look up and down this lineup and it's just you know nobody's giving you anything extraordinary except uh maybe Kyle Tucker and Martin Maldonado, and, you know, you're getting nothing. Yeah. Who would have thought that? Maybe Aledmus is starting to give you a little bit, but, 
you know, Jack Mayfield and Miles Straw are making nobody go, you know what? We need to find a place on the roster for those guys next year. <laughs> yeah, and that's concerning, especially in Miles Straw's case, because you were hoping that maybe he could take the Jake Marisnik role. And of course, you know, Jake was not a, a great hitter either. He was a very streaky kind of hitter. But yeah, up and down the lineup, it's it's troublesome. And I kept hoping that Correa may have figured it out. He got off to such a hard, hot start. Springer got off to such a horrendous start that he's had a lot of catching up to do. He's been swinging a lot better lately. But there are just so many holes, you know, and you don't have Jordan Alvarez in there either. So you're missing that. But when you have Martin Maldonado, who's among the team leaders in walks, you know, and has, has you know, done pretty well with RBIs, and Kyle Tucker, I mean— it's it's a pleasant surprise that Kyle Tucker is finally figuring it out because, I mean, think what it would be without him. They'd be really abysmal at this point. Well, I guess uh, I, I will not sleep all that well after today, but uh, <laughs> after, after a, a bunch of crappy games, uh, the Astros, I, I don't know if, if they can get out of this uh, abyss that they're in. Uh, the Texans... You know, it's could be it could be a long season if they don't get it together really quickly. But at, at least, uh, you know, they got the excuse of playing the Super Bowl champions. And, you know, the Lakers and LeBron James and Anthony Davis are no slouch. But, you know, the Rockets, uh, there's uh, a lot of stuff that's going on. It just is not good. Uh, we, we might be seeing their last game of the season on Saturday for our, our, our potential next postgame show. But we'll wait and see. Um, as always, uh, let us know what you think uh, share us tell a friend uh, let everybody know that uh, you got a show that maybe uh, people would enjoy listening to if you're a Houston sports fan stay healthy and safe everybody you're listening to Houston sports talk don't forget to follow Houston sports talk on Facebook and Twitter subscribe to us on iTunes Spotify the Google podcast app or the stitcher app you can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hot-tow!